Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome once again uh, to the Gamekeeper podcast here in the Gamekeeper studio in West Point, Mississippi, which is home of Rusty Mossy Oak. Mossy Oak brand camo. Yeah, when I look around the room, we got a little bit different layout today. We, Dudley, you're sitting there with a big grin on your face. Look like you enjoyed the weekend. I did. And then sitting in Lanny's chair, we've got Rusty McDaniel. Nice. I get so, some music. Is that an upgrade or a downgrade, Bobby? Well, we'll see. Which yet to be determined. <laughs> we still got a ways to go. I've been and, waiting for my pinch hit opportunity, and it's here. So here it is. I hope here I don't blow it. We got Toxie at the far end. I think he's grumpy. checking the weather channel. Gr- grumpy. I no, not. I don't, and there's no reason to check the weather channel. It's been the same thing for eight weeks in a row. When is the next chance? Hmm. Thursday. I don't. Maybe. Maybe. I just don't. I hate to even bring it up. Yeah, hush. just call yeah. me Grumpy. Yeah, okay, all right, Grumpy. So then around the room we got Mac, who's going to fact check for us. Richie's running the board, guys. It's another. We're going to have a great podcast today. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking with a guy who is known for killing big giant whitetails, and I mean he does it on, and he's been doing it a long time. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce him so he can be a part of our our, our discussion here. But Ben Rising from Ohio. You know, I mean, there's ends up being a lot of good stuff come out of Ohio, and uh, I'm gonna say Ben's right up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Ben is definitely at the top when you talk killing big deer. Well, I appreciate that. This ain't his first rodeo either, Ben. But when I look behind you, goodness gracious, what a wall of antlers! Yeah, yeah, I've been really blessed for sure. Well, we've got a lot of questions we're going to ask you, but before we get too far down the road, Ben, there's just a couple things we need to do. Guys, we always talk about blood on the biologic. Dudley, you're looking. I know you uh, hadn't, hadn't even thought about that yet, but guys, we need y- y'all just, uh, you know, ta- hashtag blood on the biologic. Spe- we especially like youngsters uh, with their first deer, uh, and uh, I'm expecting we'll start seeing that coming up here pretty soon as rifle season starts coming in in a lot of places. Yeah. But uh, our friend Al Cheatham, I just got a, a text from him today. He's out west, killed a mule deer, his first mule deer. So he's all excited about that, I can tell you. C.J. Moore, he's a he's a big listener to the podcast, uh, big, big listener. Uh, he's always commenting on stuff, sending us photos. Uh, his son, Lucas, got his first deer, and it is a 10-point. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. exciting. First deer, 243. Good shot, ten point. How I mean, that's that. 
Heck That's yeah. tough to beat for a first deer. Yeah, congrats, folks. We need to hit the horns on that. Yeah. So, guys, look. Now, the other thing we've got going, it started last week, but we've got a giveaway with Springfield Armory and our friends at Leopold. It's a model 2020 bolt-action 22 rifle in honor of squirrel season. Yes. And we had this podcast last week. So this rifle, we're going to give it away in three more weeks. Rusty's it, it, got it there in his hands. It's as beautiful as 22 as I've ever seen. He's even got his hearing protection on as, yep. he, as he holds the rifle. So Awesome gun. I, it, it, that is a really good-looking rifle. It feels solid. Oh, it is. It feels like something that you would open your gun cabinet in 50 years and be proud to give to one of your grandkids. It's it's a timeless gun. Absolutely. So here's the deal. Guys, if you'll go to – and, Ben, you're, we'd let you be uh, – if you wanted to sign up for this, you'd have a chance to win this as well. You well, can- it's funny because I was listening to the Squirrel Hunter podcast you did the other day, and I was listening to you guys talk about that gun, and I was like, well, that sounds like something I'd like to yeah. get. Oh, it's a beautiful for gun. For sure. I'm telling you, it's nice. And it's got a Leopold scope on it. We all know That's that. Right. So, guys, you can go to Mossy Oak Gamekeeper. Dot com and there, it's somewhere it'll say podcast giveaway and then just follow the Rob you nodding your head they just follow the little all the little rules right there and somebody I think around mid November we're gonna give this away and somebody will be the proud owner of it somebody's gonna be pumped because that's a heck of a nice ride. it is I tell you the the key to a great twenty two is a great trigger I mean and they don't I call any names but they don't always have great triggers on that's a great trigger very very crisp no creep mm-hmm. at all. And snaps real, just real. Check easy. it out yet, though. Oh yeah, I've already played with the trigger, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I mentioned this last week. But it, it's Ruger ten twenty two mags. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you get a new gun and it's got, you know, the only magazine, you know, it's got a specific magazine, and they can be hard to come by. But these are just about on every shelf at every gun store in the whole United States. Mm-hmm. That's so. Right. It's all never run out of mags. Do anything with that twenty two. Have an extra one in your pocket already full and snap it in there. And because invariably when you need it in a hurry, you're empty. Yeah, That's my right. my favorite twenty two, uh, I only have one magazine left and I, I don't you can't replace them. Wow. All right, guys. I got one last thing before we get started. And Ben, it's kind of I, I was thinking about you when I thought about this because I, I've read some stuff that you've posted about how, how much you uh Enjoy your time of field. So I'm going to read a quote. And Ben, you're in this now. I want y'all to guess who said this, okay? All right. Are y'all ready? You want me to answer it already? Uh, no, I, I, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Go afield with a good attitude, with respect for the wildlife you hunt, and for the forest and the fields in which you walk. Immerse yourself in the outdoor experience, and it will cleanse your soul and make you a better person. Anybody care to guess who said that? I got two guesses. We'll give you one. I'll, I'll say Fred Bear. Oh, my goodness. Right off the bat. There you go. Yeah. Hey, yo. I ran across yeah. that the other day. Bam. That's just a great quote. It is a great quote. Yeah. But you got to just slow down and read it again sometimes, especially when you're out there as opposed to stuck in here. Uh, but that is great. Not just words to read, words to live by. Yeah, they are. True that. They are. 100% true. Ben, why don't you just start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started deer hunting and how you got so crazy about hunting these big bucks? Um, well, I was you know, born and raised in Ohio, typical life. Uh, my daddy was a trapper and a predator hunter. Um, he didn't hunt deer. 
one of his friends did, and I just got kind of used to seeing him, you know, harvesting deer. Deer weren't a real big thing here. I just kind of really started to get a knack for it, but and wanted to hunt them and learned a lot, you know, on my own, just squirrel hunting, trapping, all that kind of stuff. Him taking the time to teach me animal habits and, you know, how to set traps. And I was fortunate that I had people in my life that would give up their time to take me hunting. And, you know, even though my dad couldn't, you know, I had a friend, Bob Newcomb, he introduced me to duck hunting when I was younger. Um, some guys would take me on deer drives when my dad was at work and, you know, just hunting in general, we just hunted everything to a degree, but I really just took to bow hunting as I started to age, you know, my teenage years. And that's just really what I enjoyed the most. I always ran coon hounds, competition hunted them, things like that. So I've just always lived in the woods, you know, besides farming and logging. You know, we hear a lot of guys talk about trapping it teaches them the woodsmanship skills mm-hmm. no and doubt that, about it it's a pretty common thread yeah it seems like the the people that are really good deer hunters didn't get their start deer hunting they got their start right. goof, goofing in the woods small game whether it be squirrel like you said yeah. somebody took you starting out tra- to the trap line or turkey hunting we never had a turkey season in ohio until I think it was like 88 or something like that yeah 89 wow and that man teaches you to be a woodsman like you might as well take everything you learned with squirrel hunting and everything else and just that just adds a whole new level to it with turkeys especially pressured turkey you know which i'm sure you guys know all about (laughs) but (laughs) just a little um man that is just some severe woodsmanship when you're working birds and you you hang with a gobbler all day long. That is almost as satisfying as shooting a booner. For sure. Well, I've never shot a booner, so I don't I don't know, but it is very satisfying. But you know what he has in common though we just my observation from listening to great people on the podcast, they all the if you call it the great ones, because he's definitely one of them, they all love everything about it. It's not just that 180. Plus or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he loves that. But he loves everything about it. He loves practicing and scouting and planting and hanging in the tree stands and taking other people. And that's one thing that's great about him. I, he's, I've known over the years of so many people he's put on great deer, unselfishly too. But it seems like the ones that are really good at it enjoy everything about it. Uh, the great doctor the other day was talking about, you know, what's the worst thing could happen if you get stuck in a bad stand? It's like you – get to sit in a beautiful place in middle of nature and all of God's creations, you know, for an afternoon. What's, you know, what's so bad about that? It's just they see the bigger picture. And I just think it makes them better at the whole deal when they're tuned into every little bit of it. Don't you think? Oh, hundred percent. And I think too, for me, it is one of my greatest connections with my creator is when I'm hunting. Bingo. You know, like just sitting there like, I talk to God more at those phases than I, because like you're just so busy any other time of your life, it seems. And sometimes you don't always want to be, but it's just the way life is to a degree. But it's just really a great time that like reminds you just, I don't know, like how small we are and how great he is. Yeah. You know, it gives me chill bumps listening. Yeah, yeah. it does. What I mean, a great, what a great perspective. And well, we once, get so wrapped up on our own little self and our own little world and stuff. And then when you're out there and all that, it's just some, it's a freaking miracle all around you. Yeah. 
and open your eyes to it just like he's telling us to. Um, You know, get so much more out of it. And I bet you he spends more time, too. We'll listen, but I I bet you he'll say that, too. The the great ones, they spend a lot more time. They're a lot more patient than someone just after the deer, and that's all. Enjoying the the entire process, not just the outcome. Mm Is, is yeah kind of what you're saying to me and, and as i've aged and i mean obviously when i was younger i think just like any young man or whatever like you, you're kind of a little bit bloodthirsty at first you sure. know and i mean it's but as we age and you see perspective and you mature you do see the forest for the trees and you start to just enjoy every aspect of it whether it's just like watching, you know, Mr. Fox with the family and how they take him. And like, it just, we all wait for that time to watch that because it means so much to everybody. Um, you know, I killed my first deer sitting in the lap of a the time. I think Don would have been like around 80 some years old, maybe. Wow. <laughs> he lived to be 102, I think. And uh, he had one eye. And he was a great grouse hunter, but I killed my first deer sitting in his lap, his little button buck, you know, but like those times with people like that times with my dad eating, uh, you know, a sandwich in the truck and drinking coffee on gun season. Those are memories that you don't ever forget. No. Yeah, I agree. I I think most of my memories uh, are just small things. It's not necessarily the, the dead deer, the dead turkey. It's just little moments and things like that. Little things that happen. I've told my boys and teaching them, you know, you won't remember the the kills as much as you will, you know, the working hard to hang that stand or learning how to help plant the food plots. Or again, I mentioned process. That's what you'll remember more than actually, you know, dragging that doe out or holding the antlers of that buck. You know, everybody's right here. But we are the title of this. We wanted to talk to you about mature whitetail. So let's let's get off memory lane here and let's get over here. And we want to learn from you. You, it appears that you identify some mature bucks every year, and it looks like you just go after them. This ranger is a great example. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and how that happened? Well, he was a deer that last year was the first year I ever had any kind of uh, knowledge about the deer or anything. Um, got access to hunt that place and honestly thought the deer was bigger and older than what he was. I had lots of pictures of him, but then when I finally encountered him, I could just tell, I was like, this deer is not what I think. Like he needs, he truly needs a year, you know, and it's really hard to lay off a deer like that because the neighbors were hunting him. He was on a hundred some acre piece, not very big. And the property is only 400 yards wide and it's kind of long and really hard to access. But I took my chances, you know, and I just kind of felt like I'd hunted him enough. I felt like I wasn't supposed to kill him because I didn't kill him. Because, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant or, but I typically kill, like if I'm after a big, I typically kill him within four sits, four to five. You know, sometimes I hunt some harder, but typically kill him first to, third fourth fifth sit you know and i hunted him i sat 12 times for that deer and saw him once so ben i think you ought, ought, ought you ought to point out you, you're not 
going after this these deer at, at every opportunity. You're okay. waiting on everything, the stars and moon and the wind and all that to line up for you, aren't you? Most of the time. I mean, I, I kind of like wait for the deer to somewhat tell me what they're doing or like I try to wait for just like with Ranger, this cold front that came in early October. Those are just magical times, you know, and then I doesn't have to be the moon lining up with that either to make those times work, but it does help, um, you know, and knowing where they kind of like to bed. It's, it's being close to those deer, really, like those mature deer being in their roundhouse is really important this time of year to catch them in daylight. So, Ben, I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to turn it over to these guys, but uh, you mentioned being in their roundhouse. How do you determine? How do you know for sure I'm in his roundhouse? Obviously, it's like information you gather from whether you're running trail cameras or just scouting or sightings or just in general knowledge of how mature deer use properties. Um, You just try to somewhat make the best educated guesses, but a lot of boots on the ground in the off season. You know, I, I did a lot of homework this year after season was out. Um, never did find his sheds, but I learned a lot about the contour of the property I was hunting and where, how he was using it. And I started to put that together. And when he finally started to show back up this year a little bit, he wasn't like on my cameras like crazy at all. I mean, it was just little sprinkles here and there, which is what a really big deer will do, you know, these times of year. Like their core is so small, like they're only moving so many, so far from one area to another. They just don't move on. And I finally figured out somewhat what he was doing and I just got tight. I mean, I seen him one afternoon. I'm not kidding you. I, I played a hunch, got in the stand at like 10 to 3, was wiping down because i was so hot and i decided to turn and look into the crp field and there he stood 10 to 4 three and a half hours left of daylight and he was taking a dump <laughs> so i knew he just stood up and that was his downfall you know then i knew i was like okay i have definitely found where he is at and i killed him two nights later your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year. You've ran a fire, dissed the fields, got stuck, got unstuck. Planted food plots, fertilized, and prayed for rain. You moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your excuse? LS Tractor. Moultrie has pioneered the game management category. Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultrieFeeders.com. Use code Mossy Oak with a capital M, Mossy Oak, at MoultrieFeeders.com and get that 15% discount. The question I would have for you is, so once you knew literally where he liked to lay down, was it a, were you trying to, did you kill him 
going to food or did you, was it a mock scrape situation, pre-rut deal? How did you, how did you know? Yeah. So I actually killed him two days later, him doing the opposite thing because the wind was different. So he was going to use where he was kind of betting on the edge of these CRP fields and using the oaks and different things on the neighbors. I kind of knew, I just had a hunch that he was going to do exactly the opposite. And he moved later the night I killed him, but he was coming to work a little bit of clover, look for does and hit scrapes. I killed him in a, in a mock scrape I made. That's cool. How many of y'all ever put out a mock scrape down here in the South? Nah, I never have. <laughs> no, but you, I mean, I have like to get photos, but you hear more and more of, of folks using these mock yeah. scrapes, whether you're, they're using a piece of rope or just putting another tree in a field or there's already a tree in a good spot, but they obviously work. Absolutely. They do. Yeah, they, they do. They don't always like just deer don't just go running to them. Like some people tend to think that we try to make it sound, but you have to put them. It's kind of like fish and structure. Like you have to put them where the deer want to be. And big bucks have certain attitudes and certain times of the year. And like they just want to let everybody know who they are. And this time of year, they're starting to get to that point to where like they're making rounds, pushing off their competitors a little bit out of their core. And that night it was kind of cool. It was high pressure. And I just figured like he's going to show up there just showing his dominance a little bit, just nosing around, you know, and that's exactly what he did. Like there was a little buck working the scrape right below me. And that little buck literally took out of there. Like somebody spanked him because he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know? And then I grunted to that deer twice and he just come flying to that scrape to work it. And I shot him right in the scrape. <laughs> that's, that, that is, is crazy. incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Dudley, have you got a question? Well, I mean, we've got a, a ton of questions from listeners here. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm an oak nerd. So that's the, the question I've gravitated to, but, uh, Ash brother outdoors wanted to know what your strategy is when you have like a bumper crop of acorns, when there's just food everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. can you think back to, you know, when you scored on a big buck, uh, in a year when there was just food everywhere, this, this case was that exactly, um, there's there was red oaks everywhere red oaks and black oaks were hitting very few white oaks were hitting um but it was rain and red oak and anywhere they went into the timber they could find that and so it was more or less getting at this point i had to narrow down where he bedded. that's what i had to know and they will still use green that time of year so there was just the smallest little clover plot tucked in the edge of the CRP close to bedding areas, oaks, everything. Like I laid it out there just for that reason, not knowing that he would take to it like, like he did hoping and it actually worked. That's tough. You just, you know, it, it seems like, you know, when you go a little further North, there's, there's more open ground. It, it seems to me like it's a little bit easier to know where those target bucks are. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough when there's a lot of food, you know, I guess you just have to figure out where they're crossing. Like you said, you had that mock scrape, you had that little clover plot. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned you felt like he was going to do the opposite of what he did the day you saw. Why is that? I mean, why wouldn't you go, he's going to do it again? Just experience or intuition? 
the wind, he was bedded on one side of that area, I think, because the wind was the one way the night that I first saw him. It had switched, so I figured he was going to be laying on the other side. And, you know, using the other side of the property, using the neighbor's oaks. And I'd got a picture of him like 700, 650 yards away that morning headed north, which, mind you, I've never had a picture of him where I killed him. I saw him there, killed him there, had a camera there, and he was never in front of that camera. So I wasn't hunting there because I had pictures of him because I can honestly say I didn't. Like not using that scrape, nothing. No pictures of him there whatsoever. His core was that small. Just intuition. Yeah, I had a question. Do sometimes you pick spots like that because they're safer? In other words, you could get in and out of it and have a good shot at him, but you know, maybe you felt like another spot had a higher percentage chance, but you had a higher percentage to bust him. And I know you well enough to know the last thing you want to do is let one bust you that time of year at all. And that's a hundred percent. it. So like an old logging road ended where it topped right up into this field, gave me access through a lot of deer, but quiet access, cedar ticket and everything. But I was able to get up top to keep my wind consistent. And that's where the CRP grass was and the goldenrod field. That's what those big bucks love. And I figured the night that I had the hunch, I was like, he's got to be up here using this somewhere. I'm just not getting him on camera. And what he was doing was literally staying to the edge of that clover just and walking that edge. It was like 60 yards out. He was about another 40 yards from my camera. So I figured I was kind of doing two things that night. I was hunting, but I was also observing. Well, yeah. So, so Ben, are you running a lot? How many cameras are you running? Well, I mean, I run a lot, but it's because I have a lot of different areas that I'm trying to hunt as far as state-wise. Like this year, I've drawn a lot of tags. And so I've kind of got cameras scattered all over, but it's more or less just trying to give me ideas of what kind of deer in the area that, you know, that I'm hunting. Like, this deer particular, I was definitely trying to get pictures of this deer for sure. Um, and I had some, just enough to tell me he was back using this property that I was able to hunt. When you're trying to determine where this deer's bedding, would, would you put a lot of cameras on trails trying to figure out where they're coming from? And then as you start learning, moving them back further and further into a bedding area? I honestly only had like four cameras on this 120 acres that I really felt like I was going to pick him up. And I was only picking him up and so instead of going in there and doing a lot of walking around and bumping him around, plus, you know, you got to remember he's eight hours from where I live. He's in Illinois. I'm in Ohio. So I wasn't like making special trips. I, I did my prep and I just relied on what I knew from the year before and no pressure is no intrusion is the best that you can do mm-hmm. for these kind of deer. And that's even in public land. Like those deer in public will find those spots where people are not going and they will be there. Mac, you look like you got a question. I'm curious, was it a perennial or annual clover that he was using? Uh, this would be a perennial. I mean, it was the first year for it, but he was using. So we made the plot originally a little larger than I felt like I needed to. So then when it was time to maintain, we only mowed part of it and was letting the other part grow up with weeds. And that was the part he was feeding in. Hmm. Well, you know, we've talked about that a lot. Yeah. They feel comfortable, but when it, you know, when it is really dry, 
a lot of those weeds are, are what they want to eat. Well, I mean, especially if there's not any clover there because it hadn't rained. Doctor Harper had he's been on twice talking about parking the bush hog and how it can be beneficial. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I do and like I I did here on this farm, so we burnt this the grass this fall or I mean this spring on it. It's like nine acre field of just you know goldenrod all kinds of, and I did not mow the fire breaks on the edges like like had been over the years people that had owned it had always mowed the edges you know for a fire break i let them grow up this summer to be that nice soft grass not the stiff goldenrod things like that that is where all the deer were on those edges and i do that a lot in ohio now i'll mow it again this this year before spring i'll go in and mow those fire breaks you know in case we want to burn we won't probably won't burn it again but this year but I'll mow it again, just keep that soft grass there again. That's an interesting strategy, you know, like if you're, if you've got these fire breaks that, uh, well, we were burning a few weeks ago, but, uh, if it's not thick, you know, right there on the edge, one, you're encouraging yourself and a bunch of your buddies to ride their bikes around the field, checking cameras. And, you know, so if, if you let your roads grow up a little bit, you know, they're going to feel deer are going to feel safer walking down them. Uh, we've done that at my farm. Like, uh, for example, a saddle on a logging road, uh, we will purposefully not mow that one year to encourage deer to cross it where it is thick or, or on a pipeline or something, you know, you may mow a lot of it, but if you can leave some areas unmowed deer may be more willing to cross right there. Uh, and that, yeah. that could be a big help if you're a bow hunter. I do it a lot too, because a lot of times if you have a lot of mowed trails on farms and this goes back to my trapping days, all the predators want to run those. And you, you know, you're kind of like, if you have a bunch of mowed trails leading to your food plot, you're just leading yourself up to a bombed night. You know, you go in on an evening, perfect plots filling up or whatever. And then all of a sudden here comes two coyotes bumping into the plot well guess what there goes the deer you know and so like i've just learned certain little things and try to do you know especially because i've never owned land in the last you know few years and to where i've been able to just do what i wanted to do with it and i've seen things over the years and just kept like this memory bank and i've been finally starting able to like imply some of it up. so ben i wanted to ask you, you were talking about this soft grass does it do you know what kind of grass that was or dudley has anybody got an idea that you know foxtail and stuff like that that grows naturally like it's nothing we planted it's just mother nature's green grass doing the fire lane at a different time of year instead of just right before deer season right. Uh, there's a different type of cover there and they like yep. stuff that varies. So like, say you got a field, here's a, another one. Say you got like a, a great growed up field that has maybe some trees in it or some, you know, olive bushes or something that creates structure out in that field or some saplings. Like if you go out to that area in, in March or, or say even like, I don't know, June, May, more like May, and you mow around those things and then never mow them again all summer, those deer will flock to those spots like and bed around that structure. 
Yeah. In, in my experience, a lot of that usually comes back in, in grasses and things. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. so Ben, if, uh, if a guy asks you, Hey, look, t- tell, tell me some secrets for hunting these older, mature deer that you, you seem to be so good at. What, Let's let's go down that road of just making sure we cut, flip over some stones and explain some of that stuff. You got to find one. Mm. Yeah, can't kill it if you don't have. That's my saying. And I will go like I put more time into finding one than, it. and that's what people don't understand. And like I don't play baseball, I don't play softball, I don't golf, I don't really fish. You know, it's kind of a maybe a hindrance to a degree because I don't do a lot of other stuff in my free time. You know, when I'm not with family and I'm not working and doing that kind of stuff, my brain is on those big mature deer because that's the challenge that that drives me now. I've killed a lot of deer in my life and it's not just about the killing now. It's like for me, with Ranger, the hunt was over like the second I saw him do what I wanted him to do. And I, and I figured him out. I was like, I got you. You know, like that is the win for me. The harvesting and sit behind them is cool, but it's really not what drives me. I, I don't know how to say it. Like no, yeah, it could be a hundred fifty well. inch eight year old deer in Kansas. If I if he's hard and I can figure him out, to me that is I love that. Well what you just said, the figure him out part, that's that's more than half the battle there. I mean, yeah, obviously, sure. then, then you got to execute when he does get in front of you. But the win is figure, you know, figuring one out. Well, and then, then you know, when the hunt happened and you saw him on that first hunt, uh, if I saw a deer of that caliber on my first hunt and it got away, I, I would feel really defeated. And it almost sounds like you just got more excited. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, you were using that as a tool to, to narrow it down. I mean, again, going back even maybe 12, 10 years ago, I might've walked out of there kicked off. You know what I mean? But I literally was standing there and I was like watching him and I'm like, you sucker. I can't believe that's you're actually doing that. And I kind of smiled with my, I had my shirt off, my bows at the bottom of the tree. So I grabbed my cell phone and just filming for a little bit. And I was like, well, maybe I should get my bow, <laughs> but I could tell by watching him that he wasn't going to do what I wanted anyway. So I wasn't, trying to like just booger him and i went to get my bow rope anyways i thought well i better pull it up and he heard me hit the seat and he just kind of looked he knew it wasn't right he just hunkered down and skipped out of the plot and went into the weeds again and so i was like well all right so i just got down honestly because i knew he wasn't coming back and i was like i don't want to no sense in you're another deer and all that so I just was walking out and I was like, well, God's got a plan. Like, I just got to figure out what's going on here and, you know, watch and just go back and analyze again. You know, it was something new I learned and put it all together. And sometimes I do things I can't even explain some people. Like, I don't know why I do something. That's the cerebral hunter. Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing on your list would be, so you, you identify a big deer What's the next most important thing? Is it access or scent or is it one, you know, two A, two B or what? What's the next thing on your mind? Obviously getting access to where a deer lives like that or in the neighborhood, at least, um, figuring out what kind of deer he is. Some deer, every deer has different personalities. Some are walkers, some are very reclusive. Some don't like other deer. Some are dominant, some are submissive. Every deer has a weakness 
you just have to figure what that weakness is sometimes. I've never heard it put like that. Yeah, every, it, every big deer has a weakness. You got to figure it out. And that sounds much easier to say than to actually <laughs> do, I would imagine. I don't know. Like, it's just one of them things that some people are super good at killing turkeys and can just work a call, like, you know, and they just know what turkeys are going to do all the time. Or I'm a great turkey hunter, but I'm a better deer hunter. I just, I th- it's my passion, I think. You know, like Mark Drury will pick a turkey over a deer any day. He'll tell you that. Yeah, we we enjoy having Mark around, yeah. and, and just for that reason. So, and, and boy, he can run a turkey call like nobody's business. Oh, sick <laughs> fuck. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, it's sickening. <laughs> so, you don't even want to pull yours out. No, no, you don't. So, Ben, like, how often, like, comparatively, are you hunting, like? Uh, land that you're allowed to do habitat manipulations on and, you know, like public ground. And how do you attack that differently? The last four years, I pretty much have hunted mostly ground that I can, that I have either leased or that I own now, or that I have like, I'd say maybe permission with a couple other guys. But before that, all the big deer I was killing was, you know, leases or knocking on doors or some was even public. I just wasn't making it known. Like I was trying to keep it quiet, not talk about that. I'm a great public land hunter. If that makes right. sense. Cause I didn't want tension on that. Right. That's understandable for sure. I mean, I literally would have my wife drop me off places and she would pick me up and talk about a trooper, you know, <laughs> She would drop me off, come back after dark, pick me up. It got that intense sometimes because people, once people found out where I was hunting, it would pretty much be over. Yeah, it's different. The public land approach for whitetails versus turkey is different. Everybody can hear the turkey gobble, but if if the word gets out just from that there's a big deer in the area, you, there's going to yeah, be plenty I know of, that guy, and he's parked there, at yeah. that at this particular <laughs> yeah. gate every other afternoon. Got to be a reason for I that. I might need to go check that out. Yeah. So ben, in my, in my notes, trying to prepare for this, there's, there's, a, I, I was told that you actually killed a deer, and later on, it made you have to move from the area. Can you? I may not be phrasing that right, but can you touch on that a little bit? Well, I my very first really big deer that I ever killed years ago, when I was filming for juries, it just caused so much jealousy that. And when I was hunting, everywhere I would hunt, it just became treacherous. You know what I mean? Like literally somebody was always trying to mess with you. I was still young, raising a family, you know, didn't have a lot of money. I was logging every day, trying to run a logging business. Just didn't have dirt, you know, places I had permission on, but other people did too. And, you know, I just didn't want to deal with it and the headaches and I didn't know how to deal with it at that point either. You know, I wasn't, um, didn't look at life the same way as I do now and let it get to me. And I probably shouldn't have the way I did, but you know, I felt like we had an opportunity to move about two hours away and it was a better opportunity for me and my family. And I felt like I made the right call. And so that's what we did. Yeah. That, Good that, for you. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So what about, uh, recently Jason Hart, came and hunted with you yep. and uh looks it looks like you guys had a great time he killed a, a nice deer can you tell us a little bit about that that's a, a piece that you know it's a it's same situation a lot of grass timber 
a lot of grown up weedy fields on this place, no crops. Um, basically a buck, you know, a buck farm, you know, it's got those on it. Some, some junky hay. It's, um, not a great farming farm because the ground is so full of flint and tough that nobody can really farm it, you know, um, but it holds deer. You know, it's just one of them places that it's always been able to have success at killing mature deer there. It's just been a great producer. You know, we just do a little bit of mowing some of the paths, you know, do some of the right stuff over the deer bedding and where they're feeding and kind of set up for it and wait, you know, and that was the first sit. Wow. In that farm. Yeah, they, they traveled up that day, got in the stand, and, and got an air in that deer. It just goes to show you the homework and what this guy right here knows about them. But. Yeah, and my buddy Mark was helping me with that one, too, so I can't take all the credit. But Do you remember what you asked me when we talked on the phone? We were sort of lining it all up. I said, yeah, Jason Hart, you know, from the company, is going to come up and bow hunt. He said, Jason Hart, isn't he a turkey hunter? Is, <laughs> is he a, is he a yeah. deer hunter? I, yeah. said, uh, I said, well, yeah, he's a heck of a turkey hunter, but I'm pretty sure he knows his way around the deer woods, too. And sure enough, he 10 ringed him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He put a good shot on him. It seems like so many times uh, these big deer get killed by the first time you go in there to Uh, sit on them. uh, Yes, absolutely. But you mentioned that earlier, didn't you? Oh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Don't you think it's, I mean, for most people, um, it's so hard to get in where you need to be and get out more than a time or two. They just, I mean, they're so sensitive to every tiny thing. I mean, well, uh, you may know the how many how many times more sensitive is their nose than ours? Like ten thousand times, a lot, crazy number. Yeah, I mean, so how how do you beat that? So yeah, I mean, I just in my rookie days, I would remember the the best chance, the best hunts I ever had around what I thought was a good deer at the time. You know, we didn't have cameras. Would always be the very first time I went somewhere and used a climber and climbed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's in here? And then I'd never see them again. Right. And, I, I mean, I I think that's important. Yeah. And he would he would probably say the same thing. Like, you know, if you've got a spot that's 60 acres or you got a spot that's 130 acres uh, that you're splitting with a buddy or something like that, you might want to look into find, you know, if you're, yeah. if you want to scratch the itch, you know, go yeah. find some public or go knock on a door. Yes. yes. Go, uh, or, you know, uh, we so, were asking Ben earlier, you know, what are you hunting this afternoon? And he said, no, cause I don't, I don't have one picked out. That's doing what I need it to do right now. Um, and so one thing, I, I think you have people... to find out what your goals are. Do you want to hunt and sit in the woods a lot? Or do you want to hunt a trophy animal? And if you want to do both, you may need to find a couple of backup places to go. Yep. You know? What what occurred to me though is every person we've talked to now, including obviously him, put him right up the top of Mark, is they have the same thing in common. So it's like a hundred percent about people that are great at killing mature deers. They do not, and it doesn't matter if you're competing with buddies in a club in a spot. They do not go hunt a spot unless conditions are just right. They just do not do it under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. Even if it's iffy and you listen to Dr. Chamberlain, you listen to Mark. I'm, you know, Mark, I mean, Mark, so I, you're, you're meticulous. I mean, he is anal about no. de- details. I mean, just over the top. I mean, he will, I can remember him waiting that deer about what five or six years ago was so big. And he said, 
I literally waited 40 days into the season before it was finally right, and then I went in there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing for everybody to listen out there and learn is just don't do it. Even if you're in a club and you're worried about beating some more to it or public land, do not hunt a stand when you know the conditions are wrong. Ever. And you're, you're messing it up for yourself and just, you're messing it up for everybody that's going in behind you. Yeah, and I'm well. preaching to myself because I have, I have to catch myself. I mean, I think by now, you know, I don't do it much, but I see so many people I hunt with and even me, they're just a little sloppy about that. People like him are not ever. Mac, I think you uh, you were looking up how a deer's nose. What what did you come up with? Yeah, so uh, Mississippi State has it at five hundred to a thousand times uh, stronger sense of smell than humans. Okay, that's only okay. <laughs> that, that's so I missed it a few thousand. Ben, do you believe that? That's oh yeah, I knew it. Oh, I would have thought it would have been more. Wow. Some it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say it's I just unbelievable. It was more. Yeah, I, I really thought it was like tens of thousands times better than ours to be truthful and and it's just like what toxie was saying earlier these you cannot enter their domain and them not know you've not been there you just cannot do it i don't care if it's three days late they can smell where you've been yeah and they they don't always get alarmed by it at times but they know and if you're in the wrong spots then that alarms them. But like I've always said, there's secondary zones and primary zones. Secondary zones are those fields where they're used to seeing tractors, maybe the farmer banging a gate, a car going down a road a couple hundred yards away, you know, things like that, like trails or, you know, gravel roads, you know, places that they're somewhat like they know when they're going to those areas, things are going to be different. But when they're in their core spot, and like there shouldn't be any intrusion those are the no-no places that you should not be like treading foot if you don't have to that's good intel yeah. right there yes yeah. it is you know you've heard the stories about you know like the public land guys and going way back in you know areas that aren't messed with and this and that a lot of times they have success but then you've got the the spots that guys go in and out of all the time and then you often hear well so-and-so killed a big one within 75 yards of the parking lot in that little thicket by the highway. Mm-hmm. Is that similar? I mean, do they just have a knack to find those little spots off that we overlook as hunters? And then oh, will yeah. they, and will they just sit tight too? Like they don't blow out like does and little bucks. If you walk right, they'll just sit there and watch you walk by and smell you and just stay in the cover. Won't they? Most of the time, like those bigger deer, like I, any more like on some places, I am not quiet about going into hang stands or to do things like I used to do. Now, if I'm trying to like slip right in on one, like I moved a stand for Ranger and I was very quiet, slipped up on a windy day, it was raining, I moved a stand. And I was trying to be quiet because I didn't want to bump him that night. But like preseason or like maybe I'm not going to hunt it for a week, I feel like you're better off to make noise, let those deer know you're around. And they'll just kind of sit tight because they just want to know where you are. It's that little tink of metal or that stick cracking or that freaks them out because they don't know where you're at. That's it. That it's makes got, a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes like they think something's after them. Right. Yeah. When it's, you know, being yeah. in, you're in stealth mode, yeah. they feel pursued. And then if you're being sloppy or whatever, I can't tell you how many deer I've seen on a dozer or a tractor that just sat there and watched me. 
And I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. Or people that have worked yeah. on stuff telling me about, did you see this deer or that deer? And it's crazy how they know the yeah. difference. Yeah. 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 Like we'll be cutting timber, dropping trees in the summertime, and you'll look over 50 yards away and there's deer eating leaves off the tops. Yep. And you got <laughs> skitters running, chainsaws running. Yeah. You know, they just know. Yeah. Just the other day, I was in working on a, uh, a, a hunting house, you know, kids hunt out of saw drills, you know, patching on it, making some, you know, just working. And then 30 minutes later on a cell camera on a white Oak tree, 50 yards down the edge, five or six does just walk right out. Didn't care. Out <laughs> yeah. There, out there eating acorns after we'd been sawing, talking, hammering, drilling yeah. and carrying on. It's like yeah. they knew you were there, but they knew they you knew left. We weren't hunting them. Yeah. I do the same, like, when I'm walking my woods shed hunting, I literally talk to the deer. Like, it sounds dumb, but I literally, when I come into the woods those times of years that I'm not hunting, I will literally say, hey, girls, I'm here, just walking out the ridge, you know, whatever, and you'll see them bump around, and they stop. You you can watch them from one ridge to the next. They just really want to know where you are. Right. You're you're proving to them that you're not being sneaky. Yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know how to explain it. So Ben, how does uh, how does the food plots figure into what you do in, in managing a farm, and how, how how do you use them for your to your advantage? Well, they definitely do. You know, I mean, we leave some crops, you know, and we love to tuck in little green plots or little brassica plots, stuff like that spots. But I'm really big about trying to get those in places that are really close to where deer are, you know, and I don't hunt them a lot. You know, they're just smaller little things. I don't use them like some people do because I'm real big about not trying to draw a ton of deer to my farm or my lease or whatever. I'm, I want the right deer. You know, I think by sometimes giving them too much food, you're drawing too many deer and those really big deer don't like all that social. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thought process because if you watch a lot of deer in a the field there there's a lot of stress going on i mean it, it, some deer don't like being around other deer and it, it, it if you watch it it's, it's pretty interesting yeah for sure early season that tactic is really well now as the rut comes you know and doe bucks are looking for does obviously you know if you have quite a few girls on your farm that's they're going to be there you know so there's like areas to have those spots but i think those bucks need to have a lot of those areas too that they just don't get messed with or the other deer don't want to be, or, you know, they got a small little plot that they kind of like to take to or something like that, you know, and water is a huge factor, especially like a year, like what you're oh, dealing gosh. with right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ben, it, I'm trying to get inside your mind a little bit and understand what motivates you, but so now are you looking for like a six or a seven or eight year old deer? Are you looking at age? Or are you looking at antler size and inches or, or, or what motivates you? What, what, what is it? Where I can hunt like Ohio and Illinois, where I can spend more time. Obviously I'm trying to find a bigger rack deer, but it still has to be five plus, you know, years old. I'm not going to shoot one under five. What about Jason's buck? We mentioned Jason Hart's buck earlier from October. Uh, what was that deer's habits or in his age? And what was he? I mean, he was a pretty big one. Wasn't he? Talk about that deer. A little yeah. Bit. I mean, he killed that deer was bedded within, I would say a hundred 
yards of where Jason killed. 125 yards. He was using a thicket across this little field. He would feed it, feed into this weedy clover field, come across and head to the white oaks that were behind his stand up on the other hill. Weedy clover field again. Mm-hmm. Another mention of that. Like you said, having it grown up. Yeah. And it was secluded. You know, it was a secluded field that couldn't be seen. How many different states are you typically hunting? Well, I always hunt Illinois, Ohio. This year, I and Kentucky sometimes, but uh, this year, and now Missouri, but I, I, I drew Kansas and Iowa this year for bow tags, so wow. that's exciting. That Dang. is. That is. Now that I own dirt in Illinois, I can kill two bucks with a bow in Illinois. Do you almost wish you hadn't drawn Iowa and Kansas in the same year? You're going to have time, a hard time fitting it all in, huh? No, I'll find time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you got that many bucks on the wall like that behind you, you'll find time. Yeah. You got to get your priorities right, right? That's it, man. Bingo. Well, ben, what should we be asking you if you're used to you're used to being you're talking about uh, hunting big bucks? What or is there something we should be asking? You know, one thing I just tell everybody is hunt smarter, not harder. Like seriously, like you know, if you've got one located or you can find one, and I mean, there's times like, and and I I do have places that I'll just hunt because like I just want to hunt. You know what I mean? Like I want to get out and enjoy mother nature. I love the smell of fall. And, you know, I, I do want to shoot a doe or something like that, but I don't want to mess up maybe the buck that I'm trying to hunt. Um, so like I'll hunt different spots or I'll take somebody or cause it's really enjoyable to see somebody kill a good, you know, like to watch Jason, you know, his reaction with that deer, you know, that was awesome. You know, and because uh, that dude's jolly like old St. Nick as it is. And so, yep. you know, when he killed that deer, it was pretty cool. Almighty Joe was excited too, I believe. He's filmed about 10,000 of them over the years. And he got just, yeah. as, pumped. He got just as pumped on that one <laughs> as he has right? How about that? any of them. How about that? Yeah, that says a lot about Joe too. Yeah. Ben, do you have poaching problems? The guys try to – how do you deal with some of those issues? We've had some in the past, like, you know, in areas – but I, I probably deal with it more than I realize, you know, but I just don't catch anybody or don't um, know that it's going on sometimes, you know, and sometimes like you can literally drive yourself crazy. Yeah. Like years ago, I used to literally drive around during gun season all the time, controlling everything. And I, I just got to the point, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is, creating anxiety and stress that I just don't need. Don't you think that cameras have kind of helped that situation a bunch? Yeah, they definitely have. But I also feel like, too, we can take the use of cameras sometimes too far, and it kind of, like, takes that element out of the chase to a degree. Like, I'm starting to, like, use them a little more just to kind of know what kind of deer in the area. And I'm starting to back off some on, like, sprinkling them everywhere. Yeah. You know? At first, when they first come out, I was addicted to these cell cams. You know, and I have plenty. Do not get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I bet you do. Because all the places that I'm hunting. But I just kind of like to know what deer are around. It's like Toxic said years ago, we'd go into a spot and just hunt it. And if a good deer walked by, you killed it. And then, for all you know, 20 minutes later, a deer that was 30 inches bigger might have walked by if you were really looking for a trophy buck, you know. But you didn't know he was there. Um, so I kind of try to use it more for inventory. I like to put them on scrapes to know what mature bucks are using what, 
But for a while, I was just like sprinkling those things on every trail, everywhere. And I still do to a degree, but nothing like I used to. I kind of scatter them out a little more. Well, also what I was kind of pointing out to about your anxiety, though, I, I think a lot of guys might be thinking, well, but, you know, I better not cross this line right here because he's probably got some cameras over there. Oh, for sure. You yeah. Just, you just, yeah. You know. Oh, that I have. I actually set up cameras just for people sometimes, literally. Yeah. Yep. You do get that problem. It's a shame you got to do that, but. Yeah. Good tool, I guess. Big beer. Make people do crazy things. Nosler Ballistic Tip Ammunition is made for knocking down deer right where they stand. Nosler's Ballistic Tip Bullet is the key. It has the controlled expansion and bone-crushing punch to turn a whitetail's lights out. Bring home more deer this year with Ballistic Tip Ammunition. Buy now at Nosler.com. The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. I know you're a logger. Um are there has there been anything you've learned over the years as a as a logger who's also a big deer hunter? Uh, any tips or tricks you can offer our listeners that are private landowners that have some timber? Uh, can you think of anything like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, logging is a great tool if it's done right to enhance your property, manage your trees. Um, one misconception I've learned over the years with timber that people people seem to think you always have to have thick to hold big deer. And I've learned that sometimes these bigger bucks actually like open timber more than they believe, especially in hill country, because they can see so far. And they can get away. They can just drop over a ridge and they're out of sight. Sometimes the property can get so thick that the deer don't even like it. I don't know if you've encountered that, but I have because we have a real bad problem with like green briar and stuff up here. And man, the the briars get so thick and the olive and, you know, big deer with a rack can't even get through it. Like his safety is actually hindered by the thickness. Yeah, Yeah. entirely. Uh, And I think, you know, pressure has a lot to do with it. Um, If you're, if there's a ton of pressure, then they're probably going to be going to thicker stuff, but. Uh, if you're the only guy yeah. around that has timber, especially in the Midwest, you know, where there's just a lot of fields and ag and, and timber can be limited, you know, just having timber up there may be like having a, a little cutover here in the South. And, you know, like, again, like certain areas in the Midwest actually, you know, obviously have less timber than others. Like my area here, the the, the ag is very small. Like the, the block I live in is, you know, this isn't necessarily where I hunt, but there's a lot of big woods around these areas right here. You know, big hardwoods, ridges. Um, you know, I would say the ground, the timber, it's probably a, probably 80% timber to 20% crop, you know. And so that's different strategies compared to others. One thing you said, like, what should we be asking? One thing that people really need to, Remember with big deer, any deer in general, whitetails are aggressive animals. They like to know 
for let everybody know they're around. They leave those signs, rubs, scrapes. There's a reason they do those things. And so those are some of the weaknesses that whitetails have. They have to eat, they have to drink, and they're going to breed. You know, to a mature buck, the desire to breed does is just second to eating and surviving, you know? Um, so keep that in mind, like, you know, but like calling cards of scrapes and the rubs at certain times of the year, like those are telltale signs and can, you can dupe a big buck with those because like, that's just something natural for them. It's kind of like using live bait with, with fish compared to the rubber worm, you know, you, Grandpa's bass pond seen 500 rubber worms, but you know, you throw a real live night crawler in there. Sometimes they just can't. And that's kind of how whitetails are. You know, they, the right kind of scent or just the right call at the right time, according to their body language, you know, the time of year can really set a deer off. You know, it's so interesting to talk to somebody like Ben, and we have, it generates a lot of questions, but there's so many questions that you want to ask mm-hmm. that you know he's going to say, well, it, it kind of depends. Because mm-hmm. if you ask about how big is a core area, and it probably depends on that, that what's going on in that world, or if you ask how far, some of our listeners, how, how large is a deer's rut core uh, area, and so I don't know that we can answer a lot of these questions that yeah, have been I mean, asked to us. Some but. of the people that are best at this kind of thing, they're making decisions on the fly. You know, he doesn't have a textbook that he goes by. You know, it, it does depend yeah. uh, most of the time. And it's area specific. Like south, like where you guys are at, those are different type of deer than what, mm. you know, the Midwest deer are as far as like, how they move and where they're eating and where they're bedding and, you know, like still somewhat general, but like those deer down there are very cagey, sketchy, you know, they're just, they're, I don't know how to say it. Like, but I would venture to say that Southern deer are probably just a little more harder to kill. If I had to guess, you know, they're spot on. Yeah, we, we look, we, we're you right know, there with you, Ben. We believe it. Exactly yeah, I mean, they're in the big swamps and big, huge timber blocks, pine yeah. groves. You know, they're walking around snakes and, you know, they got all kinds of different things to where the Midwest here, you know, they got coyotes, once in a while a bobcat. Well, you know, you know when we drive through the Midwest, we always look at the maps and look at the uh, and we see these pinch points and That's these right. big fields <clears throat> and these woods narrowing down, and we think, man, we could kill every deer up here if we no. got. But you mm. know, and down here we have these big blocks of woods, and it's just hard to hem them up. They've got bigger deer, and they've just evolved, and they, you know, with probably a better like carrying capacity. You know, the the ag, the food, they just start out with bigger deer than we generally have. Although there are places in the south that have it too, but you're right, the habitat. And then the other thing people forget is that for so long we had deer here and shot, you know, the the days of deer management came along close and coinciding with the deer herd expanding into the Midwest. So when you started having deer, it wasn't very long before you, you know, you began to be selective, let them grow up and learned about deer management. We shot them for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. (laughs) 
and everything with barely visible horns. So we kind of bred a nocturnal deer a little more, I think, than in places in the mm-hmm. country where deer expanded to later. That's just my little philosophy. Makes a lot of sense. And I feel like they get dog hunted down there. Yes. And it's just, we shot look for, for, for till 30 years old or something. If it, man, hair, antlers visible above hairline. Isn't that what it said, Dudley? Yeah. And we're so proud of it, you know, just to kill a deer. So, uh, I just think, I don't know. It felt like we just bred it into them a little more. No doubt that like public land bucks are way more cagey up here. Yeah nocturnal more compared to private land bucks that say like only get hunted by the family. And if they hunt smart, like, you know, everybody, always, a lot of people comment, well, if I can hunt where you do, I could kill that deer. Sometimes. Yes. Maybe that's the case. But a lot of times I don't think it is. It's, you know, you still have to know that deer doesn't just walk around like an idiot, yeah. you know, like, and, you know, like I said, over the years, I've killed a lot of deer. Like I killed a 180 inch deer, you know, I don't know, what was it, 2013 or 14? That deer was living on public. I killed him 30 yards onto a piece of private. I just found a back door into the farthest part of the public where that deer was living. And I let everybody believe I killed it on a different farm. It was fine. Well, I mean, you talk about having a great place. You want to move again. Yeah, you talk about having, you know, he does it because he has a great place hunting stuff. And, Sure. I mean, that's what we're all trying to get to is a better place. But I could still say anybody can screw up a great place if they don't adhere to the discipline that yeah. he's telling us all to, you know, to learn from him on. So, you know, even if you had a great place and you weren't listening to the, some of the details he's given us, you, you'd mess that up, too. Yeah. What you, you know? just said, hunt smart. Yeah. You know, makes a lot of sense. Now, like when I go to Kansas and I've only got five days or something, I hunt aggressively. You know, I try to time that to where calling works very well out there. You know, I kind of hunt those deer a little bit like predators. I get on the downwind side of thickets, rattle, call. You know, if I see a deer moving, sometimes I'll blind call. If I'm set up to where they can't get downwind to me, you know, just try to take advantage of their aggressiveness certain times a year. You know, and I'm not exactly hunting, looking always for a 200-inch deer. You know, I'm looking for... Just a big mature deer that's going to make some good footage and teach our viewers something about calling deer and like that. Speaking of viewers, you can watch his stuff on the Mossy Oak Go app. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Rusty, there's a bunch of content there. Oh, yeah. Uh, What, six, seven, eight seasons now, Ben? Whitetail Edge? Yeah. It's plenty of big deer killing on the Whitetail Edge series on MoGo. And uh, you can look at the view counts, uh, I know, on YouTube, and you will see – why he's killed so many big deer. I mean, there, there's a lot of people trying to get information from him. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, we it's don't have the largest following, but our following is a, like a cult type following. They're very loyal. They, they're the type of people that want to learn about deer. Cause like every show has a, a different niche, you know, and I, I don't veer from my lane, you know, and like there's guys that have, you know, just become really good at doing different things. And, they get popular for it. I'm popular for trying to find a certain deer, hunt him, um, teach people what deer like to do, how to harvest mature deer. I'm good at going into a property that already has a deer and teaching people how to kill that deer with what's already there. Wow. That's really good information. Too. Yeah. So this Pat, this Ranger, what have you shared with the world what he ended up scoring? Uh, he grows 212. I mean, depending on how you 
measured it. He could go 215, but 212 was what I'm on him. Oh my goodness! He's my crazy. third two hundred. That is crazy. It, it, I hate you having to settle on two twelve yeah, like that. It. That's terrible. I feel bad for you. Goodness <laughs> gracious! I, what was it like walking up and putting your hands on an animal like that? For him, it was really surreal because, like, I did not expect it to happen that early. Like the cold front, everything came perfect time. I wasn't even planning on going, and it's. I started looking at the weather and deer cast, and I'm like. Uh, come home basically told my wife I said I'll be leaving in two days <laughs> and I did and I killed him on the fourth day. that's awesome wow. yeah that's incredible alright guys so why don't we do this we've we've kept him a little over an hour um, y'all think if there's any other questions but in the meantime Richie why don't you ask him a trivia question Ben we do a trivia question we've got a new sponsor and uh, that so it's, it was kind of dedicated to Sheffield Financial, but we ask you a trivia question. If you get it right, a listener who left a review uh, can potentially win a prize. And what we've learned, Ben, is we typically give them the prize whether you get it right or wrong, so you can take a deep breath and relax. <laughs> okay. All right, so what we got here, trivia for today is brought to us by Sheffield Financial because financing is not trivial. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we're playing for Chad Hurst. Great podcast. Love it. I love conservation and love this podcast. Keep them up. So, all right. We got a prize here is a uh, pack of Nosler custom ammo of his choice. Yeah, no, that's a great prize. Mm-hmm. How about yeah. that? Heck yeah, we may prize. end up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a great prize. For sure. All right. So according to Field and Stream Magazine, the average peak rut date for most of the whitetail range is blank. We accept any answer within three days of the date. Huh. The peak, the date, it, it, where you are up there. Three ben. Is that for whoa, whoa, whoa. is that for the entire country, Richie? Well, it's well, the same day. What do you say, Bob? I don't know. Yeah, it's up there in that Midwest. The peak rut. The, the the day of peak rut is. I mean, you got three days on each side. Come I mean, on, surely. you got to give you yeah. more than three days. So November eighth. So he's Ooh, got. So he's got six 8th, days. He just popped it peak, right out. Peak of Asterisk. He said November eighth, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, the, well, that may be what it is. It, we're we're being it, but according to Field and Stream, it was November thirteenth, Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say eleventh or the eighth, but yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I tell you how I can remember that. That's my birthday. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Everybody put Bobby's ca- uh, birthday <laughs> on your down, calendar. Guys. But it makes oh, it, it makes sense he would pick a date a few days earlier than the actual date because he gets his business done sooner than the rest of us. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. does. Well, Ben, it may be the eighth where you are. You you may have been in fact right, but that's what Field and Stream said and when we when we yeah, looked right. them, so. I'm sure they've figured something out. Yeah. I did get the Fred Bear question right. True. Yeah, he did. Which True. was instantly. Yeah. Obviously, you've got a good taxidermist too. That looking behind you, I would encourage guys to look at watch this on YouTube. I you wish you would have told me about twenty years ago who you're going to pick out out of all stock in their company. Then. <laughs> uh, what's your best deer, man? What uh, two fifteen? So Ranger's right there at him, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> This one here is 204. Wow. And this is latest. This one's 215. Wow. He's a Kansas deer. Look at all that mess. Yeah. Similar. Wow. Got that flaring kicker off the two there, just like Ranger. Yeah. But so I was looking Toxie's at Toxie's going to like this, though. This is just for him. Look at these spurs. On there you go. Holy mess. 
wow. that's a lamb hanger. That is a Boone and Crockett. I, Trust me. Yeah, I killed that one with a bow. I was I was about as proud of that turkey wow. as anything. Wow. No, that's a that's a unicorn there. That you don't see that much. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Especially up here. Guys, y'all got yeah. any more questions for Ben? No, I just I, I just the observation is that it's just so cool to see someone that has achieved so much that A still loves it and is and still loving it. It's not like you got some point and it's not fun anymore. He's loved it and he's and he's learned to have a great life with all that, mix it in with family, close friends and all that, and just loves you know, he's connected to the woods and the outdoors and has learned to get a great life out of it. I just pray for people to have that kind of joy from it, whether they kill a 200-inch deer or not, you know, because yeah. life's gone in a blink, and the more you can enjoy, that's what we're – that's kind of our sermon is, you know, the whole outdoors and, and living your life, your best life outdoors. He's a great example of it. I think more pe- people will listen to that because he's so successful too. Yeah. But don't miss literally the forest for the trees. Well, and keep in mind, I mean, he he had mentioned it himself. He's matured through the years. Oh, absolutely. And and, and there's yeah. something to be. I mean, so young guys ha- right. just have to realize. You, you, sometimes you just have to have some. Let go around a, the sun a few times. That's so right. you're go, saying go uh, maybe I mean, isn't it? Isn't it truly amazing though? Like if you really think about it, like how how God makes us. So like it's same with like deer young deer like how they run around like crazy and then as they start to mature their core shrinks well, it's just like we're the same way yes as as we mature we get different i don't know if you guys have ever seen that comedian nate bar gates he is hilarious and he's very clean like he's not a vulgar comedian but he's taught he has this one little skit where he says you know you remember when you're like 18 or 20 and your friends call and they're like do you guys want to go out? And you're like, where are we going? I'll burn this place down just to get out of here. I'll do whatever I can and I'll meet you. He goes, and then you turn 30 and they ask you if you want to go somewhere. And you're like, well, where are we going? Can I drive myself? You know, he goes, and then you hit 40 and you're like, I'm mad you even asked me to go. Once <laughs> you, you get know? 60, you don't answer the phone anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what i'm saying it's like we're kind yeah. of the same way and but like god makes us to where we can raise children and have yes. like i don't know how my wife dealt with five kids. you know we had five kids i don't know how you should dealt with them. wow yeah because you she's know a, she's an angel all right because she's yeah. an angel and so like 100%. now it's like you know we have a granddaughter that comes over once in a while and we're like man how did we ever raise five you know and uh, so just an observation that that's kind of how deer and God just gives us that different way of looking at life and things as we mature. And, you know, and, and I just want to say thanks to you guys as Masio for one, for just support you give me your white tail edge, the platform to be able to, you know, show our stuff. Also, like I tell everybody about Masio cause like, look, there's a lot of, different clothing companies camo companies things like that but i don't think there's one company in the outdoor industry that gets back to conservation like you guys do and i think that is just that's just above and beyond yeah and i see it every year at the nwtf i see it just all the time and i just really commend you guys for for being that way i appreciate that a ton so i'll there's an analogy as i got older and, you know, you, you remember him, we all remember him, uh, 
that was kind of a turning point for me when we lost Bob Dixon. And I remember thinking, I'm going to start getting better at letting the people I love know I love them and how I feel about them. And so, you know, as, as we get older and older, uh, we change and our priorities change. And I guess we get more at peace with the things that really matter and, you know, the things that you wasted time on in a younger day just kind of fade away, you know? It's like, you know, when you're a Christian and you're dealing with death, like my mom died of cancer at the age of 67 and it was hard, you know, but like we actually had people ask us like, why are you guys not more sad about this? And it's like, well, because I know where my mom is and who she's with and like, you know, she's with her savior. That's what she lived her life to be. Wow. And so it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of having that hope yes. to where you don't have hope. Like people that don't know, don't have the hope and they're always sad. And it's, you know, so that's just my, you know, the outdoors can bring a lot of that to light for you. You know, being in mother nature, thinking about your creator and it can help you find those things in life. Yeah. The world of man and concrete can just put doubt in your mind and Satan play tricks and stuff. But when you're in nature yeah. and the wonders that God made, there's no other explanation. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And wow. so it just always strengthens my faith to be out there quite honestly too, like that. But yep. to hear you say it, uh, man inspires all of us. Absolutely. I appreciate Absolutely. that. Ben, you're an impressive man and we've enjoyed uh, learning more about you today, but we've through the years, we've enjoyed watching you and keeping up with you and, and everybody at Moss Hill appreciates what you do. Yes. And we're, we're big fans and, and so, but just thank you for coming on and sharing some time yep. with us today. Yep. Anytime, man. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate yep. yeah, that it. That was so. great. So uh, I feel like right. we barely even scratched the surface. Yeah, There's know, so much yeah, more things we could, you know, learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we'll, can go into it again. We'll do it again. Yeah. Yep. But we yeah. sure will. And uh, well, we got some questions from listeners they wanted to ask. I don't think we got to nearly all of them that Bobby had here. But you know, as this podcast hits in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, send more questions. Yeah. And what we'll, I mean, really, yeah. we're just. We're just fishing for ourselves. We love to do it for the people out there to, you know, gain whatever knowledge they want to hear from people. Yeah, we're just exactly. about to get into that Midwest November magical time. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what? Maybe maybe there's a part two on the horizon. Uh, maybe. No, for sure, for <laughs> sure. So, Rusty, we appreciate you coming down here. Man, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you had you, a blast. You did well. We appreciate <laughs> I it. Hope so. Toxie, thank you for being here. Richie's over here running the board. Uh, guys, we appreciate y'all listening to the podcast. Please watch the television show if you get a chance. It's on Tuesday nights on the Outdoor Channel and a bunch of other times as well. And go check out the HuntingEdge.com. White, uh, Whitetail Edge. Whitetail Edge. Whitetail Edge. Okay, Richie. WhitetailEdge.com. He's on all the social media platforms, YouTube. Check out Ben Rising. Yeah, and I just got to say, too, along the same lines of what I talked about, Bob, so in case a train hits me or something, you just what a, what a lifetime friend you have been to the brand and the example. I kind of got to that a little bit today because it means a lot to me. So I, I don't get a chance to tell you that. So for the record, it means the world, the person that you are, and thank you because you're a part of that brand just like we are. Yep. Well, Keep I feel doing it. it. Yes, sir. Live yep. your life. Yeah, this has been yep. a good one. Yep, absolutely. Yep. All, all right, guys. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. 
subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine, and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.